RC Heli Nation version 3. I'm Nick, and with me this week is Scott. Stay golden, pony boy. I think we got Devin. <laughs> what? And uh, that other guy, Rob. This is me. Welcome. Well, what about Dan? Where's Dan? Don't you start Danielson? I see him right here. He's right <laughs> here. Well, sort of. He's here in spirit on the record yes. with us tonight. So, I don't know if I said this is episode 26. I probably forgot that, so, you know. You should get used to mistakes like that, because uh, Dan's not going to be with us for a little while. If you've uh, been following Dan or his wife Elaine on Facebook, uh, you've seen that, uh, unfortunately, earlier uh, this week or last week, Dan had a little bit of a cardiac episode. Long story short, after a trip to the hospital, blockages in his heart were discovered. And this Friday, the day that you're probably listening to this episode, Dan will be having bypass surgery, so open heart surgery for Dan on Friday. So obviously, that's going to be a long road back for Dan. He'll check in with us from time to time. We might even get some audio clips from him if he gets bored. But, uh, you know, he could be gone for up to a couple of months as he recovers at home and rests up. So as you're listening to this, you know, take a minute. Let's all keep Dan in our thoughts on Friday. I know he's not one prayer, but uh, let's think some, send some positive energy his way. Yeah. And uh, keep him in your thoughts on Friday. Uh, we'll be sure, by the way, and post something on uh, Facebook once uh, we hear from Elaine that uh, he's through with Flying Colors, which we fully expect. I told Dan the other day that I have every intention of him beating Free Falls podcast episode record. Yeah, uh, buddy. Between all his appearances, so he'll be the helliest podcaster of all. So he's not allowed to, uh, you know, have any mishaps here. So, yeah, what we do need to do is, I think, if everybody clubs together and sends Dan an email saying how the show has just gone to shit without him, and he really needs to come <laughs> back, that's going to help him recover and come back sooner. You bet. Uh, He'll totally. scold his heart into repair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or push it over the edge. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it could yeah. go both ways. <laughs> He's probably going to pop a really important stitch. <laughs> right? Like, no, those assholes. Yeah, but we're thinking about you, Dan. Uh, you know, we got prayers out for you and good thoughts, good energy coming your way, man. Um, I don't know. Dan's a, Dan's a pretty resilient guy. He's been through a lot of shit. And this is kind of heavy, you know. Let's, let's admit it. It's kind of heavy, right? Um, but I think he's in a good hands, you know, let's face it, uh, today's modern medicine, I mean, to be able to do a bypass and work on a part of a person's body, um, and then get them back to good. It's, it's something that happens all the time. So, you know, it's his turn this time and, uh, we look forward to seeing him back, uh, when he's good. Heck yeah, we do. All right. With that said, although it's pretty impossible to segue away from that, um, as we keep Dan in our thoughts. Uh, let's check in with everybody. Anybody do anything helicopter related in the last week? I touched one. Oh. Was it consensual? (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those special moments, you know? (laughs) Wow. No, I, so I actually put a three blade head on my Oxy 2 and 
Nice. We got that flying, and I flew. I flew that in the front yard. That's flying pretty good. It just needs some carbon fiber blades because the plastic ones flex way too much. But that's about the extent of my heli weekend. That's kind of neat. A little three blade head on the, the Oxy Two. So I have a question about that because I have a three blade head sitting here that's mostly fully assembled. I just got to tune it up, right? I don't have any blades or anything, but I haven't messed with it yet because. I, I guess I haven't done a ton of research, but I know a couple of you guys have already done three blades, right? So what's the score? Do you just put less pitch in there, less a little bit less collective, or because you have an extra blade, or does that you matter? You can. Okay. A little lower head speed or same head speed or what? Usually a little lower. Nice. So, okay. Yeah, because I'm thinking about trying that myself. No, it's pretty cool. They they sound really cool, and they they fly pretty good. It would be worth it, I think, for you to try it, Rob. Nice. Might have to do that. What about, like, can you steal any carbon blades off any of these other micros, the M1, M2, any of those sizes relevant? Um, so the funny thing is I don't actually know what the three-blade set size is, because I know the two-blade for the Oxy2 Sport, which is the newest version of the Oxy2, it's a stretched Oxy2, like we used to do with the old Oxy2, but it comes stock like that. Yeah. So it runs 215s, or the biggest it can run is 215s. So with the three blade, I, I don't know if they're a little shorter. I would imagine so because it, because with the three blades, a little bit shorter wouldn't really hurt anything would be a little better, but I haven't measured them myself. Um, I just kind of threw them on and said, let's go fly it. But what I really do need to see is if I could find a brand that makes three blade sets that small. Yeah. Like a three blade, a three blade set of two hundreds or something. Yeah. And that are carbon because carbon's just so much better than plastic blades it's not even funny do you really yeah. think they match blades that are that small or could you just go get like 380 190 millimeter goose guy blades and slap them on and send it i mean if if i could get carbon blades i'll just balance them myself if i have to if no one makes sets that small i'll make a set myself yeah, there you go because all, all you have to do is just do the, C, the cg and the balance and the weighting and you're done i done yeah. like the old bit yeah so, but I'm going to see if I can get an already ready to fly set. If I can't, I'll make one because it'll fly. It flies really good, but it'll fly a lot better with stiffer blades for sure. Yeah, totally. Dude, back in the day, Gowie had this uh, on their Gowie 200 uh, because they came out with a couple scale canopy options or scale fuselage options. They actually came out with a five blade head for the little Gowie 200. And I've got the head parts, except rewind way back to one of the beginning episodes nobody has Gowie 200 blade grips anywhere so i've got this five blade head and i got all kinds of spare blade but i don't have any grips those so. five blade heads are insane like i don't know if, rob if you've ever seen the robin makes a five blade set for no. the head and yeah. it sounds so cool it sounds real yeah, I've seen videos of it, and it just looks sweet. I could imagine trying oh, yeah. to like, track them fuckers, though. <laughs> oh, tracking three is fun. What size heli did you say that was? Who, me? Oh, that was the little Gowie 200. Little 200 runs a uh, 200 millimeter blade. Have you ever looked to see if a tail grip for other helicopters will work? Oh, shit. You know what? The uh, T-Rex 400 tail grips. That's right. I actually, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, pl- I, I have a... Uh, uh, T-Rex uh, 450 tail hub. You, I'm using that as the head block on my Gowie 200 right now. But if I just grabbed some, maybe, ah, that's a good idea, Scott. Maybe I'll have to look for some some cheap 
like 450 tail grips to see if yeah even plastic if the work. head's not too heavy i guess it would work great yeah give it a whirl mm, i'm gonna crash some shit this summer send it do it i want to nice. see i want to just see rob send a video my 450 block and I'll just watch him fly watch him fly watch <laughs> this loop near <laughs> right into the ground actually cool fun fact on the two blade tip not the five blade but on the two blade if you go back in my youtube channel I got a shit ton of videos of me flying the Gowie 200 with no electronics, just the servos and a tail gyro. No fly bar, fly bar lifts, right? With the T Rex 450 as the hub and uh, regular Gowie 200 grips, kind of how I have it set up right now. No bar. So I've got this array of videos of me flying the 200 and no bar. Fucking crazy. That must have been fun. Dude, it's crazy, man. My fingers, I felt like I was going to fast forward my carpal tunnel like a whole decade because you got to do all the, all the interactions with your own hand. You know what I mean? Um, so I had to do some crappy things with the expo and this and that, so it wasn't too crazy, but ironically, it, it's weird because once you get the heli in the orientation, you want it, it just parks it there. You know what I'm saying? Because all the servos just sit still. So in those little brief moments, it feels like it's locked in like crazy, but as soon as you have to move it at all, then it's, it's fucking on like Donkey Kong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it sounds like that. I've only ever flown like one or two that were tail gyros like that and it was always fun yeah they're squirrely i did it on the x5 it's a lot way easier on the x5 to do that but yeah that's true yeah so what else you do is that it just fuck with the oxy2 or what i've just fucked with the oxy2 nice hey man that's pretty cool though three blade head on there yeah it's badass i like it you Um, make uh... scale sounds like nick does Yeah, I sit there going boom 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 yeah don't knock it don't knock it. That's hey, definitely what Nick does. Nick, Nick does, you know, he'll be flying around. Pew, 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 pew. Starts playing fucking uh, the song. What song? I don't know. Sing it for us. Fortunate uh, Son. Fortunate yeah. Son while he's flying his heli, yeah. Oh, hey, man. Ride of the Valkyries. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> little apocalypse now. What about yeah. the, your second flash? You get that built up yet? Uh, no, I haven't gotten parts for, for them yet. Well, that's no fun. No, yeah, it's we're working it out, getting it together. Hopefully soon. Right on. So hopefully, then I'll have two, which means I gotta buy more servos, more motors, more ESCs, and uh, maybe I could throw an Evo on it. That would be a good idea. That would be neat. Yeah. Any word when they come out? I was told yesterday that we can expect in America to be able to get them in our hands March. Yeah, that's kind of the line they've been saying is is by the end of March. I may or may not have sold all of my Neos, and a good buddy of mine has not yelled at me for not shipping it yet because I have one left inside a helicopter, and that's the only one I have that flies. You got yourself backed into a corner there, Scott. I know, big time. I thought they were going to come out quick, so I was like, oh, I'll just sell all mine. And then they're like, oh yeah, March. Mind you, this is January 3rd or something like that. You know, what? Just, like, have, oh, no. just have a good friend in Germany buy them for you and then ship them to you. I thought there about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, on paper. So then you go to try and send it in for service and all hell breaks loose. That's okay. Um, yeah, I, hope, I wonder if I have any friends in Germany. Oh, I'm sure you do. Maybe. I don't know. You don't have Devin's, a lot of friends. So. Devin's got an imaginary girlfriend there. Ouch. <laughs> I know people in Germany that can do it. Right. More on that later. What about, <laughs> what about you, Devin? Is that it? Or uh... yeah, that's it for my flying. I don't know. 
Rob, what have you been up to? Uh, stuff and things. Simming and fly, actually flying. Uh, it's been nice out, dude. It's been in like the 30s all week, so it might as well be summertime for me. <laughs> so I took, uh, I went out and got some flights in on um, Goblin 570, took the T-Rex 600 out with a specific purpose of just doing really, really big, big air, fast, big air stuff and kind of just making sure everything was tuned in on that. And dude, I had a lot of fun. You know, I probably did the biggest loop-de-loop I've ever done. It was probably good like 100 foot tall loop you know what i'm saying just super fast and so just having really fun just basically kind of like we were talking about making scale noises in my mind making airplane noises in the air with my helicopter just just shoot i don't know just being really really silly with it really fun um and then my 570 i've been spending more time trying to tune it up so that i had talked about in a few episodes back where i had all the all the rates turned way, way up. Um, and so then I backed them off and I realized I had it too slow and I couldn't, I, you know, you can't stir the same or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so I've been, I spent probably the last, probably three, four days of the week last week uh, tuning that up uh, in the brain software and took that out and got like eight flights on that and uh, had a field day. No crashes to speak of, which is good. Um, but yeah, I was able to get some more of those moves I'm able to do in the sim at least sort of roughed out in the air, you know, those broad, sharpie strokes kind of deal, you know what I mean? But it was good. It was fun. You know, I, I needed that reprieve, dude. I've been getting heli stir crazy, not being able to actually go fly, fly, you know? And so I packed them up and took them out and flew um, on Saturday and Sunday. Friday, I just did some flying in my backyard and stuff. But uh, um, so I had a good time. Probably had about 15 packs this week, or this last week, which is huge. I mean, that's way more than probably the last month and a half of course it's the dead of winter right um but all the sim time is really paying off i think you know i am with uh what little comparatively little amount of time i've had since i started back up again i'm i feel like i'm way farther than i was when i first started back in the day of course you know just br brushing the dust off of stuff in my brain and so that was good i did uh, a little blasphemous thing and flew my drone around my fpv drone around today which was a great time but i discovered that dude i think someone's walking around on my back property because i was flying around i got up out in the yard and flew out uh, past this little wooded area and then there's that park i was talking about and i'm on my way back and i look down and i see these tracks coming across the field through this little fence and into the woods and i'm like okay there must be deer or something like that and i get down closer and i'm like no these look like footprints and so I'm out in recon mode now with my FPV drone hovering around in my back lot through the woods trying to figure <laughs> out what this is, you know. And these tracks come out and then they follow my back of my fence, like probably like three feet away from my fence and just the whole length of my fence. And then they just disappear in the corner. I don't know where they went uh, or what. You know, there's no like return path unless they, whoever it was, walked back through that. And you could tell that was tracks from a couple weeks ago because you know how snow kind of drifts in over the tracks and they kind of start to fill in. But I'm like, now I'm like, what the fuck? Now I got to see, is there somebody like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just overthinking it. Maybe it was just some, cause there's a, um, a set of like communication lines that go behind my house, uh, regular wooden phone pole, not really big or anything like that. So there are cable lines run on that and things like that. So I, I wonder maybe somebody was back there looking at that, but why would you come from the park and come all the way across the field through the woods like through the trees and shit like that and then onto my back lot and then along my back fence and then back the way you came and get the fuck out of here so i'm gonna keep an eye out back there just in case but 
it was a weird discovery I wouldn't have found had I not flown my my FPV drone out there, you know. But, Yikes, that's a little yeah. creepy. Yeah, it's kind of creepy, right? Um, so, but I'm, I, whatever. I'm, I work all night long, so I would expect that if somebody was doing that, maybe they're trying to do it at night. Maybe I'll catch some fuckers. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and then, dude, today the last thing I, I have that's kind of heli related. So today, I had like the, the most obnoxious ball of klutziness happen, like within like 15 minutes of having to start recording. So I'm downstairs playing fetch with my dog and. Uh, heck, I had my laptop and my uh, radio and all that shit down there, just sitting on my table, and I'm playing with the dog, and I throw his uh, his toy, and he goes and runs off, and his stupid, obnoxious dog tail comes, and like Indiana Jones whips my radio off the table, and it lands face down like a freaking piece of peanut butter toast on my wood floor, and I'm like, no, because I thought it was totally fucked, right? Um, no, I turn it over, everything's fine. One of my switches is freaking bent, and like. Yeah, I know if I bend it back, it's going to break off. So I'm like, God damn it. But uh, hey, at least the Radio Master's got all the different switch arrays you can buy. So I'll just go spend like eight bucks and get the, what is it, the SASB switch array and fix it. Damn it. And so then I'm reeling from that. Collect all the stuff in my hands. I have this, my laptop, my radio, the charger for my laptop, a soda, and a glass of water. And I'm coming up the stairs and I'm like, okay, here we go. Doom, 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 doom. Fucking trip up the stairs. And almost drop everything on the ground. This glass of water. Dude, I tell you what. Like a hick at a music festival, dude. I saved the water. Like not one drop was spilled. Like the golden child. Well, maybe like a little dribble. But my fucking toe is burning. So I think I broke my toe. Which sucks. Oh, no. I know, right? So that's my, that's my week. It was great heli flying all that stuff. And then I almost broke the heart of my heli flying. Didn't break it. And then actually broke my toe probably. So. Wow. <laughs> so. Scott or Devin, which which one of you is it in the snow? Yeah, man, what the fuck? Oh, dang it. I've been giving out all these crazy instructions. I bet somebody's trying to fulfill one of them. It got yeah. misunderstood. <laughs> Somebody Shit. actually listened to your how to email you <laughs> monologue. <laughs> right? like, right, I take 30 paces in the snow around Rob's fence, and then I write my name in the snow. <laughs> With yellow marker. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, my week wasn't quite as eventful, at least not the end of it. Yeah. But it did start with something interesting. I decided I should probably make one of my, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, annual goals that we talked about uh, many episodes ago come true. And yeah. it's, it's the one that I can make true by just spending money. So it's probably the one I'll be most successful at. <laughs> uh, and I bought a Nitro. Oh, what? I got offered a deal I could not refuse on a new-in-box raw Nitro helicopter. Nice. And I'd been thinking about it, and it was just, you know, Someone had sort of bought one and changed their mind, and it had been sitting, and I was like, I'm going to snatch that up. So, grabbed that. So, that was uh, the main thing uh, of the week. But I did, I got home from Kansas City on Thursday, Wednesday, somewhere in there, Wednesday night. And Friday, I flew with a bunch of the boys from Atlanta. So, we had uh, Tom Shin and Thomas Mabry and Chris Moss all out, all flying nitros. So, it was perfect. So, it was this, this awesome nitro crew that I just pounded with beginner questions, and, and we're actually going to. That's going to be a theme around here. I'm basically just going to use all of the resources around me to learn about Nitro. So I'm going to bug all of you with a million questions and them with questions. And because I know nothing, I have like, I've seen them fly. That's about the extent of my Nitro knowledge. So <laughs> you're such a noob, dude. <laughs> um, and actually, speaking of, you know, what we're about to cover later, I, you know, I found I, I started doing a lot of Googling and research looking for YouTube videos for 
podcast episodes and like people glance over it or they talk about tuning, but nobody talks about like, what do you buy? What comes in the kit? What, like, how do you pick the right fuel, the right glow plug? Like there's yeah. a lot of stuff that I think we can cover or that I'll be annoying all of you with questions with. So flying on Friday was fun. I had the, a pair of these GPS helicopters from Flywing that I was filming the last pieces of content for, for a video. And those are pretty entertaining. I had a pretty exciting moment with one of them where the GPS sensor, I had a pre-production model and it was just double-sided tape to the top of the canopy oh, and it no. came and it came loose while in GPS mode. <laughs> 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 and I could literally hear everybody behind me like ducking and running for cover because it took a hard turn towards the pits and I managed to throw it back in, in like full control mode and, and re-grab it. But it was pretty dicey for a minute. So that was pretty exciting. <laughs> That's funny, dude. But I also brought the Puma out, got a bunch of flights on that. So that felt really good. We had a kind of a nice day, like 50 degrees, decent weather. So I got one day of flying in, so I don't get a no-fly, so that was good. This afternoon, at the last minute, I finished some work up early, and then I fixed the logo. So I finally got the new one-way in there. When I removed the main gear in the one-way, the one-way was definitely fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> All those lines that are supposed to be straight up and down were like at 45-degree angles sideways. Oh, dang. Uh, all kinds of hosts, so that was definitely no good ski. Nice. Uh, so it's flying again? Did you, did you make it, like, test? No, I literally, I finished it at, like, 5 o'clock and then had to do the afternoon kids' sports shuttle, um, yeah. you know, running them all over town. So it's sitting on my bench. I, you know, I triple-checked the pitch setup and all that once I put it all back together, and it's, it's ready to remaiden for the third time. Um, so hopefully this one's the charm. You're out of mulligans, man. You better get it right this time. I know. It really, it should be right. I mean, it was nearly right last time. It just, you know, stopped transferring power. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a confession to make. So I had this amazing moment with my son on Sunday. So my son's eight, and uh, he was supposed to have three soccer games on Sunday. He takes like a special extra soccer lesson, and then he was in the soccer tournament. And he was supposed to have two games, and they all canceled because... It was supposed to be freezing rain and all this horrible, nasty forecast here in Atlanta on Sunday. And so he was really sad. And I was like, well, come on, let's go. Let's go run a bunch of errands and, and let's go to this hobby store that's like 30, 40 minutes away. So we drive up to this big hobby shop and it's huge. They have everything from trains to, you know, the usual airplanes, not much helicopters, tons of RC cars, but all kinds of crap stuff and puzzles. And I mean, it's massive. And uh, so we went there and we're walking around. And we're just looking at stuff. And he's got a birthday coming up in a couple of months. And he's like, oh, this could be cool, Dad. And that could be cool for my birthday. And we're just having a good old time. And uh, he turns to me and he says, I swear to God, I almost cried in the middle of the hobby shop. He's like, Dad. I was like, what? And he's like, this place makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great, dude. And then he bought a drone. Oh, oh. well. Hey, that's good. Put him down. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he bought this cheap little sharper image drone, and he had his own money that he'd gotten from Grandpa for Christmas, and he desperately wanted to buy this thing, and I tried to talk him out of it, and he was just like, Dad, it's my money. I was like, okay. So I had this beautiful moment in the hobby shop, and then he bought a drone, and then I left him there and drove home. <laughs> <laughs> Give him three weeks, and then he'll be like, Dad, will you help me pick out a drone? <laughs> And then tonight actually was funny. He's like, Dad, I found a stunt button. Watch this. And he pushes the button and it does like flips in the air. And I yeah. was like, it's not cool unless you make it do that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's like, shut up, Dad. <laughs> he knows better than to take my crap. So 
uh anyway that's it for uh my week what about uh what about you scott man so i've been taking a lot of no flies lately and i figured in the theme of keeping things consistent i went ahead and did not take a no fly <laughs> uh i may or may not have played hooky from work today and uh gone and flown with jake duncan nice uh, yeah a buddy hours of the flying field in my uh when I should be at lunch. Uh, and then I went home early, so it worked out pretty good. Finally got around to fixing my raw because I had crashed it at RCHO. I busted the tail blades and a side frame, just being an idiot. And then I fixed it. I flew with John Titus, like, I don't know, a month later. Did the same thing, just being an idiot, hanging out with John. And then hung it up on the shelf again until today when I went out and put a third set of tail blades on it and another side frame and flew. Luckily, nice. it did not hit the ground. Nice. Um, like I said, I'm flying on a borrowed fly barless system, so I got to get that to you, Brandon Cooper. Sorry. Thanks for not getting mad at me for borrowing it for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you got. You could try no bar, Scott. It really is. I, I might have to try no bar. I got nothing left, so... uh yeah, that is what I did, and it was fun. I haven't done anything else at all RC-related because COVID sucks, and it took all my motivation, and all I wanted to do was sleep. You sound uh, like 100% again, like yourself. You haven't for a while, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel better. I think last Friday or Thursday, something kind of kicked over, and I got a little bit of energy back, and I felt like myself. And Literally, it wasn't until today I started getting interested in things again. I'm like, oh. Look at those RC cars and look at that helicopter and kind of want to go do that. So finally starting to get interested in other things. Like I literally just wanted to sit and veg and do nothing. It was bad. Yeah. I, uh, I was similar yeah. when I was in the same boat. It's wild, but it was fun going through the hobby shop. My son was picking out all the clear RC car bodies and I pretended I knew what I was talking about. And I was like, oh yeah, you can totally paint those. You like paint <laughs> the underside and you put the tape down and mask it this way. And he's like, that's cool, dad. How do you know all that? <laughs> <laughs> you should paint one with them. It's a fun father son project. Yeah, totally. I really like, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but my dad and I built a Tamiya Blackfoot RC car. Like that came as a kit with like hundreds of pieces um, Yeah, way back in the day. And I totally want to do that with my son. So yeah, that'd be really cool. My kid's we not will, quite of that sure. age. My kid would be trying to uh, probably lick the paint off the inside of the body as I, as I go. <laughs> yeah. Flint doesn't, he doesn't have the patience for it yet. Like, I, I think it'll be another year or two and then he'll be there. Like, yeah. you can actually like put a coat of paint on and wait versus like wanting to just hose it down with paint and be done. <laughs> Which is where <laughs> he's at right now. Dad <laughs> dude, that's where I'm still at, dude, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's funny now, Scott. I feel like I only see, I guess it's like because of Hobby Wing ads or whatever on Facebook, but I only see like the, the trophy shot from these RC car races. Yeah. And you're like, that guy's really good at painting car bodies. That guy sucks. And <laughs> that guy had somebody else do it. Yeah. A lot of them have someone else do it. I don't know any of the top guys that paint their own. Yeah, there was one guy on the trophy stand. It was just yellow. The windows were yellow. The body was yellow. It was just <laughs> yellow. <laughs> I mean, it works. Screw it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have a new goal. I know I'll never be good enough to be one of those top car guys, but if I can get one of my painted bodies on one of those pro cars, I'll have made it. That that's my goal. Yeah, dude, that'd be I, cool. That feels pretty easily achievable based on the skill you've shown so far. I hope so. We'll see. I don't. Know. Right I'm on. gonna like do something creative, like sneak a big dick on it or something. That <laughs> 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 you could be like, yep, that's it. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> so you selling some canopies then? How's that going for you? Yeah, uh, I got a, the, the, the shitty thing is because I lost motivation to do anything, I've got about seven or eight bodies in a uh, stack just waiting to be painted. And I've got people messaging me and they're not, not the happiest. They're understanding, they get it. You know, I'm like, dude, my whole family got COVID. We've been out for like three weeks. Like, it's been a struggle. They're like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. But, you know, they, you know, when someone checks in, they shoot you a message and go, hey, yeah, you know, how, how are you feeling? How's the family? It really means, hey, did you paint my body yet? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I get it. <laughs> I think I can push it for another week and they're going to stop being as polite. Hey, man, at least you're doing, you've got to be doing something right if you've got like, steady work you know you've got orders in the wings if you got new orders starting to come i mean whatever if it dies out organically then it does but you keep doing your thing man for sure yeah, i just think doing it's it cool. for fun so extra hobby cash yeah man yeah man cool all right anybody got anything else exciting all right take us in rob well you want to hear the news and you gotta hear the news because you know that's gonna have to come out of the news gotta have the news and you're gonna hear the news because you know you got the news news Devin standing in the snow with a harmonica while that was happening. <laughs> Actually, uh, a ukulele. Oh, ukulele. Go. That'll work. That'll work. And a cowboy hat and tube socks. And Scott with a tuba. All right. Well, I'm not that redneck. <laughs> All right. Let's start out with some news from uh, XL Power this week. So, uh, Nick Maxwell uh, rocking a JR Propo hat to represent his uh, new partnership there. Did a live stream on Facebook with Frank Mordieos on uh, Friday night about the soon-to-be-released Spectre Nitro from XL Power. And Ra Kaboon, who designed the helicopter with Nick Maxwell, was also on via the chat. So there was kind of a, a moment that Frank and Nick did to answer questions about the Spectre Nitro and uh, share some more details about the helicopter. And Ra was also firing off answers in the chat as well. So it was kind of cool to listen to. I, and, you know, the main thing I took away from it, other than a few details I'll share in a minute, was just... And this is just sort of the type of thing that interests me was listening how Nick Maxwell and Rob partner together to design a helicopter and the different iterations of testing parts and different gear ratios and, you know, Nick being sent, you know, four different versions of something and being able to literally go out in his backyard and try version one, evaluate it, and then immediately switch to version two and try it and then version three and get, you know, real time testing of all these parts and compare and contrast and decide which, you know, was the best approach. So that was kind of cool to hear some of that backstory. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah, and uh, Nick was talking about how his initial Spectre Nitro that some people saw on the Funfly circuit uh, last year sometime was, was literally something he just cobbed together for fun for his personal use, uh, and that was a belt drive. But ultimately, he and Ra settled on a, a direct drive approach, a geared approach. Speaking of which, it really sounded like he and Ra have a great working relationship, which is great because... I think that's really ideal for Nick. I think he really enjoys being able to iterate and suggest changes and actually be sent the changed part and evaluate it. So they seem to have a really good working relationship. So that was fun. So some details we learned about the Spectre Nitro. We learned that the clutch stack is going to be supported on both the top and the bottom of the stack. It's supposedly extremely rigid. And it's got a series of tapered joints on it to help keep everything true and aligned. It's designed to keep the load off of the crankshaft and decrease resistance in the system for some greater efficiency and power transfer. So power will also include a dual-use tool in the kit. It's got uh, 
Uh, one end you can actually use to insert in the motor to lock it up so you can bolt everything on. Uh, what is that called? Is that a crank lock? Is that right? Yep. And it's also on the other end has a jig you can use so that you can properly align the clutch liner when you install that. So it's kind of nice that they include that. The Spectre Nitro includes the same geometry uh, as the V2 and the same head and tail from the NME and that higher grade aluminum. The Spectre Nitro will include a new head block, which uh, apparently has some improved tolerances for a tighter fit on the main shaft. So this should help a little bit with static tracking. You know, the, the Spectres in general, you really have to pay extra attention to that or you're going to have some vibration issues. So the fact that they've tightened that tolerance up a little bit is a good thing. Nick, by the way, incidentally, while we're talking about head blocks, uh, mentioned that he's working on testing a tapered main shaft for uh, the Spectres as well, similar to what he did on the tail, where the, the tail head block is sort of a conical recess in it that tightens onto a tapered uh, shaft, such that it sort of self-aligns and self-squares. So Nick apparently has some of these in testing, but he really wants to do some long-term durability tests on them before they uh, give it a try everywhere and make sure it holds up. So uh, those are in testing right now. And speaking of testing, Nick said, and this is kind of amazing, it was one of those moments where you're like, wow, that sounds like fun. Nick has run 20 gallons through the production model of the Spectre Nitro since January. So what is it now? February, mid-February. So 20 gallons in a month and a half through the production model to make sure it's up to snuff. So that was pretty impressive. That's about $1,000 worth of fuel. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He said he was literally, you know, Ra would check in and say like, hey, you know, how much time have you got on it? And he, he saved all the fuel jugs and was sending him pictures of these piles of fuel jugs piling up in the corner, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> they did share a few other little details. Uh, the weight of the helicopter, 4.3 kilograms with no fuel. That's about nine and a half pounds. And uh, 4.9 kilograms, fully fueled, ready to fly, battery, receiver back the whole bit. And that's uh, about 10.8 pounds. And then, uh, amusingly, not even Nick Maxwell knows what the final canopy color is. So, we've all been seeing a million different variations of this thing, and nobody knows what the production model is going to be released with yet. Well, they really shared a lot. We've got a lot of this stuff here. So, speaking of the canopy, it'll feature magnets as the front attachments on the canopy. Apparently, if you go with a standard canopy post with grommets, uh, because you're close to the sort of center of vibration of the engine, the grommets wear out really quickly, they found. Uh, so, they switched to magnets there, and those have been holding up really well. Uh, and speaking of that, the Spectre Nitro also features a stronger tail bushing that rides on the tail shaft, as the stock one from the enemy was wearing out a lot faster, thanks to the nitro vibrations, so they went with a stronger bushing there. By the way, you'll like this, Scott. Nick apparently goes to the Scott Graham School of Nitro Assembly. Says there's no need to balance any part of the clutch stack before assembly, because of the way they're made. There's just no need that everything's close enough. Nice. Uh, certainly, if you want to balance the clutch stack, you can, but he said, no, I wouldn't worry about it. I would just slap it together and buy it. Matt Bodos's eye is twitching now. <laughs> I mean, he certainly wasn't claiming like everything's perfectly balanced at the factory, but he's like, you know, the way these are manufactured, it's so close that it's fine. And then this was my favorite part. I took advantage of both Nick and Raw being on the live stream and threw a question in the chat to see if we might see a 50 size nitro from XL Power in the future. So Maxwell and Frank kind of danced around the question for a second, trying to drop some hints, and then finally Raw chimed in with a yes. So if you're an XL Power fan, you will soon, well, I shouldn't say soon, you will have in the future another Nitro option in the 50 size to look forward to. So my guess is it'll be based on the Nimbus, but that's completely a guess. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, lots of cool stuff in that broadcast. Uh, it's only about 30 minutes long. If you get a chance, you can watch a replay of it on the XL Power Facebook page. And uh, that's that on the Spectre Nitro. That's pretty awesome. There's a lot of new info about that thing. Yeah. yeah it was cool to just to learn a little bit more about it. 
And I always like when you hear insights from the folks actually working on the design. Uh, yeah. It's just cool stuff. Yeah, and the fact that they can do... I, I like what any manufacturer, because I see this happen in the drone world too with like motors and other things, where a manufacturer can work with um, a tester and just iterate like that, just back and forth in fairly efficient time. You know what I'm saying? I think it's really cool to watch that progress, you know, into a product. So, yeah. All right, moving on. This was a welcome piece of news as far as I'm concerned. So, Greg Ringel and Kyle Stacy and some others on the Hobbywing team have been teasing the fact that Hobbywing has now joined YGE, Scorpion, and Contronic to now offer full integration with the V-Control Touch, Classic, and presumably the V-Control Evo transmitters. So you can now fully program a Hobbywing ESC from the transmitter if you have a V-Control transmitter. It's time to kiss that program box goodbye. Well, sort of. So you still need the program box to update the firmware of the ESC. Details are still kind of forthcoming. But early indications are that, you know, a firmware update to any of the sort of Platinum V4 ESCs, I suspect, will then get everything working. I'm sure there's probably a new app you have to download to the V-Control to make this work. So we don't have all the details yet, but certainly looks like full integration for Hobbywings, which honestly, I mean, it, it used to be to me where Hobbywing ESCs were, I don't want to say budget option because they, they're great ESCs. They work great. I haven't had any issues with them. But the budget part of it came from the fact like, well, it doesn't have full integration. Yes, it's got telemetry and it'll help me count, you know, I count out battery capacity and whatnot, but uh, I can't, you know, I still got to get the program box and make updates in the old school way. Whereas a YGE and some of the more expensive ESCs had full integration and you're like, well, I'm paying extra for that. But if Hobbywing manages to do this at a lower price point, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Cause their hardware was always very good. Hence, why Futaba feels like it's good enough to take in, you know, brand as their own. Um, they always just lacked a little bit in the software side. So I feel like they finally did it. So watch out. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's fucking sweet. Yeah, I'm excited. Especially when you get new features on ESCs you already own. I'd say the bulk of mine are Hobbywing. I've got one or two YGEs, but so free features. So thanks, Hobbywing. <laughs> Love that. All right. In other news this week, seen online, Matt Bodos of Synergy fame was spotted in a Facebook Synergy group commenting on a post from a Synergy 516 owner. Uh, the original poster was asking what the going rate for a 516 airframe was as he was too afraid to crash it so he planned to sell it. To this post, Bodos commented, quote, I have something in the works you may want to hang on, end quote. So later in the thread, uh, someone else asked if in the works, quote unquote, applied to the 696, to which Matt replied, quote, everything previously made. So I want to tread very cautiously here, because obviously no specifics are given here. But it sounds like, again, I'm guessing a little, but sounds like, from what I read, Matt may be working on a solution to offer up spare parts again in some fashion for Synergy models. So I reached out to Matt for more info, and we'll be sure and let you know when we hear something back, and maybe even hopefully have Matt on to talk about it if this does come to fruition. So stay tuned in that space. All I'll say is, if you have a Synergy model, I would consider holding on to it if you were thinking of selling it. Hmm. A market mover. I am yeah, keeping because... the N7s, just putting that out there. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Actually, Dan's got N7s, so he'll be excited to see parts. He just yeah, can't buddy. buy yours. All right, in more V-Control news, I gotta say, I'm getting kind of tired of V-Control updates. It's so funny, and I'm glad it's not just me, but it feels like every week we're like, well, what we said last week about compatibility isn't true. Now it's this. I feel like we might be over that phase. But one last piece of info has come out from Mikado 
if you're really into the cloud data or your vControl Touch, you can actually migrate all of that data from your vControl Touch to your vControl Evo once you get it. So I'm not going to go into it here, but it, it's not a single click thing. So the, it, it looks honestly like a little bit of a painful procedure. So it's not something I'm going to be doing. I just don't care enough to want to migrate all that data together. I don't care if it's one's filed with one transmitter and the other with a new one or however it's going to work. I don't really care. But if you're really obsessive about your, your cloud data and you've got a vControl, Go ahead and take a look at the VBAR Control Facebook group and uh, the procedure for how to migrate all your uh, model cloud data is there. Sounds complicated. Sounds boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, let's see. I got Friday off. What should I do? Uh, I could stab myself in the eye. I could clean the house. Or, oh, I could migrate all my vControl cloud data. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, know. hey, I have a question about the vControl like, software. Do they have like a... Uh... It's just basically because you had commented about there's so many updates all the time, and then they put an update that maybe fixes or pulls out previous update or whatever. Does does vControl have any sort of like um, access to like a nightly build? Like, well, we're thinking this is what we want the firmware to be. We're not going to release it yet, but shit, if you want to try it, it's working. Risk is yours. Kind of like we see in, um, I, there's other softwares where you can get the nightly build, right? Versus the quote released version. Does, no. does Mikado do anything like no. that? No, I haven't you, seen it. You take them all? No, they have they have what I call excited beta testers, which are people that see the new software and jump on it. And yeah. the rest of the rest of us sit back and, and wait, wait a couple months to hear. Okay. And while all those people said, Oh my god, everything in my transmitter is in German now, the rest of us laughed and said, <laughs> Well, we're gonna wait for them to release that fix, and then we'll update. <laughs> okay, so there is at least some sort of a layer before the masses generally take it all. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's funny. No, I think I don't know. I, I'm pretty cautious with that kind of stuff in general, not just RC wise, but everywhere. I let everybody else jump on the latest software, and then I let the the dust settle and you know hear how it went. All right, time to head into our news of the week, uh, which is sort of going to tie into our topic for the evening a little later. So, is Nitro making a comeback? So it seems like we've got a lot of new Nitro models that have been announced this year, with rumors of even more. So so far this year, we've seen the return of the Black Nitro. The announcements of the Spectra Nitro, a 50 size Nitro teased from XL Power, the Align TN70 700 size Nitro, and now yet another Nitro has just been announced for this year. So Tron Helicopters is teasing a 90 size Nitro helicopter. No real details yet. We've just seen an overhead and a, and a side view of both a red and a green Nitro helicopter with a pipe sticking out the side. Uh, so, like Devin says, we can assume it'll do the spinny thingy and the smoky thingy. <laughs> but but no further details yet. Uh, stay tuned for more in that space. So that's five Nitros announced to be released this year, and it's only February. So is this the year of the Nitro? Is it making a comeback? Nitro never went anywhere. It's always is been this, around. Is this an unusual amount of Nitros to be released in a year? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. Don't say it out loud. They might stop making them. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Shh. <laughs> Nitro. you like, this is normal. Keep doing it. I mean, I honestly don't know if it's normal or not. I mean, I'm sure back in the day when Nitro was more popular, it was, but it feels like it's a Nitro surge right now. But I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd say like when I got back in the hobby in 17, there wasn't a lot of new Nitros. There was the Black Nitro and there was the N7 and then all the older stuff. And the 5.56 was the new hotness. Everything was like 50 size for a while, but it was like a Nitro a year, I guess. And then it wasn't until the Glogo came out then the 
uh, what do you call it? Kraken Nitro, then the raw Nitro, then everything just went Nitro mad. Yeah, I mean, it felt like, I don't know, as I came into the hobby three, four years ago, whatever it was, it felt like SAB was kind of flying the Nitro flag and nobody else was. Yeah, that's how it felt, you know? So it's nice to see more manufacturers step forward with that. So I guess I'll be quiet about it. And uh, with that, that's all I got for the news. I went and bought my first Nitro. So, instead of asking what I should actually do for my first Nitro, I just went and did it. And it occurred to me as I started to do this, and I'm now researching motors and pipes and on all of these things, that there's just not a great source of information of all of this. A lot of it is sort of passed down at the club level and at the flying field, and that maybe, as part of this surge in new Nitros coming out, if we start to as a podcast, offer up some of this information uh, that we can maybe help, uh, you know, bring a little bit of a nitro resurgence in by help encouraging a few more folks and me. And obviously, it's also super self-serving because I can record all of the answers and then go <laughs> buy all of the things I need. Uh, right. So, so for this episode, I'm just going to fire a ton of nitro questions at uh, you all and Scott and Devin and Rob. Feel free to. To, to jump in as you know the answers and uh well, let's just start you know compiling uh, a list of all the things and, and i think the focus on this episode is really going to be what are the things i need to buy and acquire uh whether it's tools or adhesives or fuel tubing and what comes in the kit and what doesn't and that type of thing so with that said let's just uh let's just go ahead and get rolling so but anyway before we get too far into this i just want to sort of establish an assumption and let's say that you've already flown and you're proficient with electric 3d helicopters of a variety of sizes from 550 to 700 and you've built at least a couple of kits so let's just put that as an assumption so assume those things uh, as we answer the question because i'm sure some of you may or may not recommend a nitro as your very first helicopter for example although certainly plenty of people did that uh, back in the day so all right let's get rolling so what is the best size nitro to start with? Does it matter? Do I need a 700, a 600, a 500? Do I choose by engine size, blade size? Like, like, where do you think people should start with their first nitro? Okay. I think it purely depends on how much you want to spend because they all fly pretty good. And if, if you're already proficient in helis and you're going into nitro, you obviously everyone loves a 700, but at that point it doesn't really make a huge difference. I think it really depends on how much you're willing to spend because if you go into a 700, a 105 in pipe new in the box is not cheap. It's not crazy expensive, but it's not cheap. So I, I really think it depends on what you're trying to do and how much money you want to spend. What kind of price difference is it between like a, a 50 size engine and a pipe and a, one, and a 105 and a pipe? Well, roughly? if you do a 50... Like a 50, like let's say your first nitro and you go down, you don't buy a 55, you buy a 50. A 50 is you could get for really cheap, really cheap, 100, 150 bucks you can get it for. If you're going to a 55, that's where you kind of hit a wall at the point where it 
doesn't make a huge difference because the 55 and the 105, if you buy a 55, it's going to be like $150 cheaper than just to do a 105. Okay. So it's kind of up in the air. If you're like, I just want to get into nitro, I want to do it for cheap, and you get an OS 50 and you get a pipe, you can do it for really cheap. But if you're going for a 55 or 105, it it kind of really doesn't make a huge difference because the money difference is really small they're they're priced about the same there's not much of a difference okay so what about other considerations are there design features we should look for in a first nitro like the lightest one an average weight one that's well tested and known can we jump onto a new one with all these new models coming out um scott maybe you can come help me because (laughs) i really don't think with the nitros that are out today that it makes a huge difference which one you pick. I mean, it kind of does. I mean, if you go for a, a Diabolo Nitro, you're probably not going to have a good time. Oh, um, well, that's true. Awesome but... helicopter flies amazing, one of the best, but it's not new pilot-friendly kind of thing. I would recommend a 90, 700 size. The reason being is it's far easier to tune a 90 than it is to tune a 50, um, just because it's easier to hear when it leans out when it doesn't. But the caveat to that is it's more expensive. You're going to be paying not quite double, but it certainly burns through fuel at a much faster rate for a 90 size engine. I would recommend something that has been out for a while to know that there's no major issues you're going to run into or unknown issues. Um, If you get something that's like a year or two old, people have already had it. They've had the problems. You post up a question, someone's going to answer within a few minutes. Better yet, if you have someone local at your field that's owned one or currently has one, that's the direction I'd go. Because, like, let's say you have an issue with a bolt vibrating loose, or this keeps happening, or, or you know, I have this problem with a grommet keeps leaking in the tank, what do I do? The people there will be able to help you get it straight and work it out. Whereas if the model just came out and you start having this really random issue, you're going to have to try and figure it out with the manufacturer, and, and you're, you may or may not get it right. I mean, obviously the manufacturer is going to help you, but it's always faster just to go to your buddy and go, hey, did yours do this? And then they show you exactly what happened. Right on, that makes a lot of sense. So, of the currently available models, and, like, just what would you personally recommend as a first? I mean, I always preach Black Nitro. That thing is bulletproof, it's easy to access, It the engine comes off with, again, oh, four bolts, easy engine removal, but... <laughs> <laughs> it really is like because of the engine transmission thing that it does and the the engine frame, I guess you call it. The whole front end comes off super easy. And if you wire it right, like the manual tells you to, where you put plugs basically between the frame and that engine mount, you can just unplug your plugs, undo the four bolts, uh, and take the belt off. The engine comes out the front. So it, it is in its own little self-contained little thing and it's easy to maintain. So I really like that feature. And I have blasted the shit out of those into the ground, and they hold up really well. Nice. Yeah. I gotta say, I almost pulled the trigger on a black nitro. That was <laughs> that was the front runner. So I was thinking about and doing research. That the the what eventually drew me to the raw nitro was a I had a really good price on it, but b I looked over at my fleet and went, huh. So the raw nitro uses 580 size components. I've got a Puma that uses the same 580 size components, or a lot mm-hmm. of the same, and mm-hmm. I got a raw 580 that uses a lot of the 580 size components, and I was like, well, there's going to be a lot of like spare part sharing between those three models, 
Yeah. And, and, and that kind of pushed it over the edge. So a good deal and part sharing. I know there's some trade-offs made there, but uh, that's what kind of pushed me over the edge that way. No, that's um, cool. It makes total sense. But what about you, Devin? What would you recommend as a first Nitro right now? Right now? Currently? Oh, nitro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. Right now, currently. Well, I'm just trying to think of all the Nitros that are on the market. I remember when the original OG 650 Black Nitro came out. That was a really good heli. And it has been throughout its entire, with its predecessors of the, the Kraken, the Raw. They're all really good helis, but... Mm, can I interrupt you? Yeah. That 650 was a pig, dude. You gotta get the 700 version. Yeah, but they didn't make it a 700 at that time. You had to I do know. it yourself. It was bad. But a the design one, was and there. I'm like, dude, why is this thing broken? And then I look at the blade size underneath, I go, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the design that everything is built off of was on that heli, so yeah. Yeah, they I really agree. hit it with that. Yeah. Uh, and if you're gonna go off of what you're gonna be able to find a lot of information on, there's a lot of people flying the goblins. A lot. You could go on Facebook and ask a question, and you'll probably get 50 responses of of ways people have fixed it it's really easy if you're new to it so i i I have to back up scott on that one with just the ease of being able to get it flying and getting your hand your head wrapped around how a nitro reacts and and the tendencies that they have because of the people that are flying them i know okay so now we've we've thought about a couple different sizes Let's start to think about the engines, and, and we're going to spend a little time here. The first question I want to ask, and this is something I went back and forth. So Tom Shin, who's a bit of a, a Nitro ambassador to the hobby and great guy, also flies with us here in Atlanta. So I went back and forth with him on this conversation as well, um, trying to decide which way to go. And he had some, some thoughts that, that I'll try and paraphrase in a minute. But I want to ask you guys first, regulated? or non-regulated using muffler pressure. And can you also kind of explain a little bit about what that actually means to those of us that aren't very engine savvy? Yeah. So I run both. I have a 50 that runs off muffler pressure. And then I had, when I was flying 105s, I ran regulator 105s. So when it's regulated on the carburetor, where the fuel enters the carburetor, it has a diaphragm that en- as the engine runs, it open and closes. So the motor has a plate that goes up against where the crankshaft would be. And there's a line that would go from a nipple on that plate to the fuel tank. And it uses that line to put pressure inside the fuel tank. So now you have pressure inside the tank. And you have, so you have a pressurized system with a line going to a regulator that opens and closes to allow fuel to enter the motor. So it's it's mostly fuel control and muffler pressure does basically the same thing except you don't have a regulator that muffler is still pressurizing the tank you just don't have that diaphragm that's opening and closing allow fuel into the carburetor it's all just whatever your needles are set at or is the fuel it's going to get but for it really kind of depends who's at your flying field and everything like that who who's showing you how to tune and everything like that for tuning aspects 
regulated motors tune way better than non-regulated motors. You can they're very consistent when you make a when you make a needle change, they they react very well and it's very and they'll stay within that region as long as there's pressure. So for a newer guy, I would definitely re- go with the recommended regulated if you can. If you have somebody that can help you, you can always go the non-regulated route. It's just a little bit more difficult. You have to listen a little more and listen to how the motor sounds. But I would definitely recommend a regulated for a newer person. It's just a little bit easier. What about you, Scott? Do you feel the same way? I actually feel the opposite. So the reason I say that is... Yeah, regulated motors are more consistent. The needles tend to not need as much adjustment. Uh, Take that with a grain of salt. It's nitro. You still need to tune it. But it's a little bit more consistent, like Devin said. Um, It is nice because you don't get exhaust gases in the tank after the flight when you're done. That eats away at your clunk and your line. But there is more to fail. Because like Devin said, the back plate's got this nipple at the back that uses crankcase pressure to pressurize a fuel tank. But you need to have a little one-way check valve in there. Those do fail. Sometimes they have issues. Um, and that can take out your entire motor. And you don't know. So if it fails for some reason and they stick, which they do kind of on a regular basis, it's just part of nitro, your tank will no longer get pressure. Because instead of pushing air and then sealing off so at the upstroke it no longer pulls air out of the tank, it's just pushing and pulling air in the tank. And it never really pressurizes. So then it's starved for fuel never quite gets enough fuel into the engine, then it leans out and it burns up your motor. So for a new person, I always like to have them try and go for a non-regulated setup. It's simpler, it's cleaner, it's not as much stuff going on. You don't have to remember to unplug your check valve after you're done when you're fueling. And because if you forget to do that, you pull your line, it starts shooting fuel out everywhere all over the table. That's always a good time. You don't have to do any of that. So if you run non-regulated muffler pressure, you have to tune it more, but that's kind of the game. You're you're new to nitro and you're trying to learn how to tune. So why would you not want to tune a little bit more? It's not like it's an, a terrible amount more. It's just a little bit more. So it, it also will try and teach you while you're flying. Like you'll hear it as you're, you know, mi- beginning in the flight, mid-flight to end of the flight. You'll hear the tune change. So it'll get your ears more familiar to the way it sounds. Because it usually starts pretty rich. Midway is usually the sweet spot. And then it tends to lean out at the end of the tank a little bit. And you get that like mad one minute of flight where it's super light with no fuel in the tank and it's starting to get a little lean and it's it's ripping so that's kind of the route i try and go nice it's it's funny we had a similar debate in our atlanta heli group when i asked the same question regulated non-regulated and there were people on both sides of the fence much like here so no surprise there but ultimately i've decided in the event of a tie tom shin gets the tiebreaker as sort of my local nitro advisor, and he suggested as well that beginners go the non-regulated route. So that's what I bought was the uh, non-regulated OS-105 to go with. And I can't remember everything that Tom said, and I don't want to paraphrase incorrectly, but essentially he sort of said that, yes, it may be required a little bit more tuning, but overall it's simpler and will lead to greater success and a better first nitro experience was kind of the, the, the summation of what he was going after there. So I said, all right, that sounds good to me. Yeah. So I got to choose an engine. Is it an engine or a motor? I hear those words. I always think motor and I think electric motor. Is it an engine or a motor or does it not matter? 
Everyone argues about that. They say that a motor is an electric motor and an engine is a fuel engine. But come on, this is like wheels and rims and, and people getting mad <laughs> over that crap. All right. I just don't want to get thrown under the bus because I get it wrong. But all right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So OS or YS? <laughs> For beginners. OS. I would, I would go OS 100%. Yeah. Now, I'm a diehard YS guy. I only fly YS. But if you're brand new to Nitro, get an yeah. OS. An OS is way more forgiving than a YS will be. Yep, for What's sure. What's the difference? Yeah, in what way? Brand. Uh, yeah. YS are a little bit more high-strung. It's a lot easier to kill a YS. Uh, they tend to have a little bit more issues because a YS-91 is only regulated. It's built into the crankcase. <clears throat> so you have issues with the check valves. You have issues with the diaphragms failing. The actual carb itself clogging up. Like There's, there's all those variables that can go into a problem with a YS. And typically, there's a little adjustment screw on the carb of a YS that they put a little ball of glue on, and everyone says, oh, it's perfect from the factory. No, it's not. Uh, I have had to adjust almost every single one of those in every YS engine I've had to make sure that that diaphragm doesn't have any leak by on that little pin. But that's really why. It's a little bit more complicated. When you buy an OS, you just make sure your needles are tight. That way, your freaking diaphragm thing doesn't fall off. Make sure your carb is tight, put fuel in it, put the default settings in the needles, and it'll fly. And it'll fly pretty good. And then you can lean out a little bit. It makes decent power rich. It's actually more fuel efficient than a YS. YS like to eat fuel like it's its job. But it's definitely a more user-friendly engine, and it makes plenty of power. Personally, I think the YS makes a little bit more power, but it's at the cost of complexity and difficulty. Cool. Devin, agree with that statement? Nah, I'm... I'm 100% with the OS side, at least for the beginners. Mostly because, though, if you're a new person and you're going out and flying Nitro and you're not with a guy, it is very easy to burn up a YS. You can, you can ask me. I've burned up plenty of them when I was getting into Nitro. They don't like to be lean for very long. So OSs aren't good to be lean either, but they tolerate it a lot better than a YS will. Okay. Right on. Thanks, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, we've chosen an, an engine. Now we got to pick a pipe to go with it. Do we go ProTune, OS, what is it, Power Studio, I forget, uh, the M-Studio, I know there's the Holy Grail Hattori's that unless your grandfather has one in his hobby shop, you're not going to, you know, find one easily. Uh, what kind of pipe do we go with? Hmm, pipe. So, MRCI makes a soft mount pipe. It's heavy, but the soft mount is really nice on it. I know a lot of people love the soft mount. Um, so that's a really good pipe. But you could go uh, the OS Power Boost as well, the Pro Tune. It goes either way. Where do they sell the MRCI pipes? That they come from Italy. So if you wanted to buy one, where would you get one? Um, uh, I think Frank Mordiaos can get them. Okay. Yeah, when I was doing research, I, I had it in my mind that, that Mikado USA sold those, and I would look there, but I didn't see any there. I um, think I think they used to, if I'm correct on that. I think they did. They used to have them on their website, at least. I thought so, too. Okay, so I didn't make that up. Good. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty sure they did, um, which is why Frank was able to get pipes and everything like that um, through Mikado. But yeah, it was Mikado. I'm not sure who now. But I did. I liked the uh, MRCIs when I was running them. The soft mount was kind of nice. 
You did have to put grommets in them, though. The grommets that came stock on them would just tear up in a matter of seconds. Grommets or gaskets? No, the grommets. Oh, where do those go? So since it's a soft mount pipe, it has, let's say, like a header, like your car, that goes on the motor side, the casing side. And then that does have O-rings that sit in the pipe, but it also has grommets that sits on the outside bosses where it mounts to it. So that way it can move and help with vibration a little bit. Okay. Uh, Scott, what about you? You got a pipe preference? Uh, I try and find a Tori. If I can, uh, I just usually sit and sulk about it and refuse <laughs> to do anything else. Um, and then I'll just throw an M-Studio on it and pretend it's a Hattori. Okay. Yeah. The floating thing is cool. Um, the uh, M-Studio, what are they called? Uh, MRCI, like Devin said, they're a good pipe. Uh, like he said, they are a little bit heavy. They do do a lightweight version that doesn't have that little carbon fiber ring around it, which is much, much better. And they don't fall apart. I mean... There was some issues with the old ones where the ring would kind of get loose and stuff, but it wasn't a big deal. Um, but the lightweight ones are, are really good. Um, but I usually just bite the bullet and give up and go hard mount and do a M Studio and just give up. Like, Hattori's gone. Nothing really compares, so I just slap whatever I can find on it and go. Right on. So, all right, so we got an engine, a pipe. What about fuel? And obviously it comes in different percentages, 15, 20, 30. Like, what percentage do we run? Let's say we're running... Oh, I guess let's let's talk about it regardless of which engine we're running, but you know, let's cover the main two size bases. Uh, okay. Um, 22 and a half is what I run. It's, um, if you wanted to run 30, like you're running a 55, you'd have to shim the 105. Or the 105, or I think, I don't know what the YS is, because I don't run YSs. If you have to shim them as well, I would imagine so, Scott. No, or, YS no. are designed to run on 30. They're, okay. Um, but the 105s, if you want to run them on 30, you have to put another shim in it. So to make it easier, I just run 22 and a half. And then if you end up down the road with a 50 size motor, you just run that on, on the same exact percentage fuel. Yeah. Plus 22 and a half is a little cheaper. So kind of works out nice. So the advice I was given, and you guys tell me if it was good advice, was that if I'm only going to have one nitro and it's on a 105, that I should run 15 because it's cheaper and it'll run great on that. Good advice? Bad advice? Mm, it'll mm. run hotter. It'll be a little harder to tune. But I mean, it's it's advice. Yeah, that's... But Scott, well, it, yeah. It, it, it is advice. <laughs> yeah. It's good advice. It is advice, but yeah, it's what Scott said, it is going to run hotter and the tune will be a little different. But depends how you fly too if you like a lower head speed more mellow flight yep. it might have to work great i'm gonna go ahead and say that if you run that almost 100 percent and load it up the whole flight i think it's gonna get pretty hot because the nitromethane actually cools the motor okay i don't know how easy 15 is pretty easy to find or no uh i can get anything here no that, if you can get anything i would say just run 22 and a half it's that it's what it's what everyone runs so yeah, we're actually uh, about to do a big group nitro buy and go drive down to somewhere in Alabama and pick up a ton. Are you doing cool power or VP? Uh, I think cool power. Yeah, okay. Because I know there's cool powers out that way. I, I thought it was anyway. And they do a lot of really good, you know, bulk discount when you buy a ton of it. Yeah, if you go like, like pretty much Thomas Mabry and I are going to take his pickup and just drive out there one day 
and just pick up a ton. Um, and then you can save a fortune in shipping and hazmat fees and all that other shenanigans. All right. So this is another one of those things. It feels like there's a lot in Nitro that is it's either subjective or it's all buried in people's heads. And I can't find a lot of information on it. So we've got our engine. We've got a pipe. We've got fuel. Now we need some spark. So let's talk about glow plugs here. So which plugs should we run? How do we pick them? How do we know which plug for which motor? Like, what's the what's the resource for that? How do we figure this out? So, if I'm running an OS engine, I'll usually throw an OS plug in it, just to be simple. Um, there's some people that believe that Anya plugs are a higher quality. I am one of those people. Um, I personally love Anya plugs. Um, but what you're doing when you change the number is you're changing the temperature, which in turn changes the timing of the motor. So you'll usually run an OS8 or an Enya 3, I think. Um, I might be mistaken. It was either a 3 or a 4, I forget. I think with Enya, I want to say the higher the number, the hotter it gets, but I forget. It's been three years since I bought a plug, so I may be backwards on this, but it's, it's, they're reversed from each other. OS goes one way to get hotter, Enya goes the other way. Um, but basically, the hotter the plug, the more advanced your timing is on your engine, the more likely it is going to ping or detonate. You'll get that like pinging noise in the pipe and the exhaust side while you're flying, uh, which is bad. So if you start getting that, given your fuel you're using, your engine, your shimming, the pipe you've got on there, you'll run a little bit of a cooler plug. It'll retard your timing and that detonation should go away. Um, but typically everyone just throws an OSA in and it just, it just runs. Okay. Yeah, I I personally haven't done like a shit ton of experimenting with changing heats of plugs and everything. I just put a num an OS number eight in it and fly it because they run they run well at that at that plug heat and it's what everyone really uses. I'm sure there are people that have messed around for their differences, but I've never felt the need to. So I just run an OS number eight. Okay. What do I power this glow plug with? Feels like there's a there's a bunch of choices there. You know, the the X glow from X guard, or just a loose rechargeable one that you then remove before you take off. Um, <laughs> some other choices it. on the market. Yeah, yeah if you remember, Scott to doesn't take it off. remove it. He doesn't take it off. <laughs> what's uh, what's the smartest? You know, best bet for a beginner. Okay, I use a switch glow on my helis personally. If that's what I have, because I have an abundance of them. I have like three or four extra. Um, they're good. They you can bind them to a switch on your radio, and the glow comes on. You start the motor, you turn the glow off, or it times out because it has a time setting that you can set on it. So that's what I run. Some people don't like to put uh, onboard glow on it because they want it to be as light as possible. But I'm more for the ease of okay, let's put the canopy on, all right, canopy's on, so you don't got to worry about keeping the motor running while you're putting the canopy on, trying to get the the, the glow plug uh, igniter out and dealing with that. But there are many brands. You have the X-Glow, I've run Switch Glow. There's there's a lot of brands out there that you can use. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I personally love Switch Glow. I don't think I have quite fallen in love with a package as good as that because it's very robust it's potted it's solid uh, it's not like it's made of you know a casing that can pop apart or anything uh so i know it's not going anywhere and it's going to withstand the vibration i've had one of those on a nitro for years no issues no problems um i don't 
know if they make them anymore. Um, they may just be not manufacturing because of part shortage, but they're really hard to get right now. So what I ended up running is an X-Glow, which software-wise, hardware-wise is awesome. The only thing is I wish it was potted. Um, it's in like a, ver a clear plastic case, which works fine. Um, the profile of it's actually a little better in my opinion. It's, it's easier to tuck into a heli and get it hidden somewhere. Um, I just know if it takes a hit, it's not going to be okay. It's going to crack the casing and stuff and maybe break the board, which some people care. Some people don't. I mean, if you don't crash, you don't hit the ground. Not a problem. Other than that, I don't really like to recommend having, uh, one of those little manual ones to use all the time, but I do recommend always have one with you. Um, they make a little lithium based one that stays charged for a long time. Um, and that's great because sometimes you're going to sever a cable on your switch glow or something's going to happen, or you're going to not know if it's broken and not working. So, um, nice to have one of those in your kit. You can pop it out, put it on your, your glow plug and try and start it. So you take away all the complexity, everything in the, the line, um, to know that your plug's getting, uh, you know, getting power. Um, and then over and above that, if you take your plug out, you can check it with it too, which is nice. So it's a good tool to have. Always have a glow plug T wrench and a manual glow igniter on you at some point. Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Right on. I actually went with the the X glow because uh, it was easy to get, and I also liked that you can get the little remote switch for it, so you can bury the X glow hidden in the frame and have this little tiny switch that you can activate from a hidden location and keep things looking clean. Use the radio. That's what everyone does. Yeah, well, you see can... everyone. It's it's easy. It's clean. Um, you have a little back switch toggle, and you can leave it on. The absolute best part too is if you don't do the timer like Devin was talking about. Mm -hmm. If you're having issues with it being too rich or not starting or dying off during spool up, you can just leave the switch and the radio on and leave your glow plug on until you get into a hover, and then turn it off uh, when you're kind of struggling through some tuning things. And it's a nice like back pocket tip to use when you're you know got a fussy engine. Okay, that makes sense. Yep, that's true. What about backplate sensors? Any guidance on those? Like, how do you get RPM information, and how do you govern a nitro motor? Okay. So, you, there's, I don't know, Scott, what are you running? Because I run a Scorpion back, or, sorry, Spectrum backplate sensor. Yeah, I've ran those in the past. They did change the wire uh, gauge, though, to this tiny, puny little wire. And <clears throat> I've had issues with those severing and breaking and, and cutting themselves on carbon plates. Um, but they do work. I've used them on YS ones, even with a steel backplate. The ones people say don't work with them. You can get them to work. You just got to space it right. Um, but my absolute favorite is a Spartan RPM sensor. Throw it on the fan, glue in the magnets like you're supposed to. Have one the right way, one the other way. Don't glue them in wrong. And it is a 100% solid option. Augie also makes one. He made one that apparently keeps any kind of uh, back, you know, RF what is it called um electrical uh, interference coming from it basically the back emf stuff. Yeah. emf there we go emf that's what i was looking for it keeps it from going into the fly bar list never had an issue with other ones in the past but it doesn't mean it's not happening so i still swear by spartan though if i can buy a spartan that's what goes on my stuff yeah yeah i i run the the spectrum for a long time i have run the spartan they run perfectly fine as well, but now I basically run pure throttle curves, but that's a completely different 
situation. So Yeah, it's all preference, right? Yeah. One thing I do like about the backplate sensor is you can get your RPM at idle. So a lot of times the fan magnets, they don't spin up until you start to idle up. Um, but if you run, I think that doesn't apply to the black nitro. The black nitro you do because it's got that weird clutch stack. The fan has the magnets and it's always spinning. So you get the readout at idle. But if you look at like a T-Rex or a Synergy or anything where they put it on um, the clutch bell, then you only get RPM readout when you start to spool up. So it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it's super cool to see your RPM of your engine at your, when you're at idle. Now, it's not true engine RPM. It's based on head speed, so it's like 600-something. But it's cool to know that, you know, if, if it leans out, it'll be idling at like, you know, 650, 700. If it's super fat and rich, you'll see it drop to like 625, 580, 570 sort of thing. So you can kind of get an idea... If you don't know and you can't hear how your engine's running, you can see the RPM kind of change too based on the tune a little bit. I like that. I like the idea of having kind of a baseline and then being able to see something that doesn't look right. It's yeah. easy to see. Like if you start it and it's running and you see that number that's within, you know, 20 or 30 RPM that you're used to seeing, you're like, oh, cool. That's one more thing that looks right, you know? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I went with the, the X-Guard backplate sensor. I'm going to give that a try. I kind of went with the whole X-Guard suite. <laughs> Just sort of, it has some interesting features that, that I want to play with on the electronic side. So, Yeah, Augie makes nice stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've had good success with a lot of it, so no reason not to try it for me. All right, so speaking of governing, uh, how do we choose a throttle servo? I've never purchased such a thing, so what do we look for? Like, what, what makes a good throttle servo? So I'm kind of, this is where I'm kind of old school with it from flying early with my dad but i always try to put the fastest servo i can get on my throttle is that like a tail servo essentially yeah it's tail servo Just, yeah you can't you but can't on, a tail on, servo though because the 720 yes oh yeah, yeah but generally whatever you can if it's 1500 or if you have a system that lets you run 760 um the fastest servo is what I tend to put on the throttle, so it reacts to the governor a little bit better. But most servos nowadays are getting to be so fast where it doesn't make a huge difference. That's more of just the old school nitro in me when it did make a difference. But that's what I do. Does uh, does torque really matter at all for that, or no? Um, no, no. It if you put a okay. super heavy return spring on it. I've seen it cause issues, but no. Okay. All right. Who runs that? Embrace I don't know. the chicken dance. I do. You've seen me embrace it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> again, I'll say it again. No one ever has a story about, oh, did you see that crash? Yeah, his throttle return, return spring worked awesome. Bullshit. Yeah, no. You're like, that. dude, did you see that crash at Spring Fling? That shit beat itself to death for 37 minutes. Oh, yeah. And you're a legend. <laughs> yep, that Don't was me. Let throttle return springs hold you back. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Um, 100%. Yeah. Servos. Um, I usually just throw whatever cyclic servo I have on there. Expert makes this KD1E, I think it is. So it's a Kyle Dahl version servo uh, with a removable plug and everything. So that way, if it ever ejects in a crash, it's fine. But um, it's an engine version of the plug. So it's a plastic case. It's a little bit lighter. 
It's faster speed, but it's standard um, pulse width. So you get the speed that Devin's talking about, but it's not um, it's not 760. You don't have to worry about any of those issues, and it's cheap. Because um, honestly, it doesn't really matter too much. I've ran super expensive servos on them. I've ran super shitty servos on it. And if you're the kind of pilot that typically stays around 100% throttle output because you're ripping on it, it doesn't matter what you run. You could run a spring. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've actually been considering experts for the heli as the whole, only because, you know, as much as I love programmable servos, I'm really missing removable servo leads in my life. And I feel like this nitro, I'm probably going to put it in. I feel like there's a high likelihood of bad what? autos and, and, you know, other crashes. And if I can leave the wiring there and just pop the servo out, like that just makes my life better. So, yeah, it makes maintenance a little bit easier, especially because you're running the SAB. Um, I think that servo's up in the nose. So, A, it's easier to remove the engine because you can just pop the plug out and remove the engine. And B, if you have a real nasty crash, sometimes that fan shroud gets whacked and the servo likes to leave with it. So, normal <laughs> servos get shredded. You know, you got to resolder the wires or whatever or repin it. Um, but with an expert, it nukes the wire. So what? Put a new wire in it, plug it into the servo, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. How do those um, plug-in wires seal pretty well? Yeah, really well. They've got a okay. rubber gasket around it, and I've, I've got a video I can send you. I plug the wire in, and you could like, take the cable and bounce the servo up and down like three, four inches with the cable in it. It doesn't unplug. Yeah, that's... Because <laughs> I've had people that go, oh, I don't want that. It'll pull out in flight. It's one more failure point. I'm like, no, no. That rubber grommet thing makes a super tight seal, and it's good to go. That's there's, awesome. Like, there's people that reported those plugs coming out, and it's because they didn't plug it in right, and they didn't make sure the rubber seal went into the hole too. So the whole time that rubber seal is like jammed on the outside, trying to unplug the plug. Yeah, that you're gonna makes, have a bad day. That's just a mistake. Yep. Yeah, I should uh, shout out Shaggy at this point. I actually reached out to uh, Shaggy a few days ago because I know he's on Team Expert and said, "Hey, how are these servos for Nitro?" Like the servo leads ever come unplugged are there any issues and uh he actually hadn't run them on nitro anyway he reached out to the team for me and i got tons of great replies back saying like yeah no problems love them no issues they're not going to unplug as long as you make sure they're seated so yeah i um, see them a lot on nitro helis a lot of people run them um but while we're talking about servos and obviously experts are, are a great choice what about uh, cyclics and tail servos are there any considerations that are different for a nitro helicopter for these servos as to what works or, or what doesn't or really any fine brand for electric is fine for nitro i just put whatever i have that's decent or whatever i have for servos just like i would in electric i don't do any special servo selection yeah there's there's a couple couple servos out there i'm not going to list brands or names or models or anything but there's a couple like key servos that are have issues with nitro i don't think they're available anymore anyway so it's not really a problem so if you're buying anything new you should be good to go a lot of people ask should i put the rubber grommets on it the answer is no maybe if you had old futaba servos from 10 years ago but no one runs those rubber grommets anymore you'll get people that do because they're worried about the vibration and they think it's going to be better but i have not ran those rubber grommet servos for years Never had a servo crap out from vibration, so yeah, I do just, the same thing. Yeah, just slap them in there like it's an electric and party on. Technology's nice. gotten to the point where it works good. Nice. So let's go in a different direction for a minute. What about 
fuel jugs, pumps? Do I need to get fancy? Do I just suck on the end of a straw and, and connect it to the engine and siphon it? Like, do I use a hand crank, an electric pump? Do I just use the one gallon jug or do I, do I get a, a Jersey modeler rig? Uh, <laughs> so I'm extremely lazy and I happen to live in New Jersey. So I know the person who does the Jersey modelers and he only lives like 45 minutes away from me. So I have a Jersey, a Jersey modelers. I don't think that really makes a huge difference. If you want to hand crank it, hand crank it. If you want a Jersey modelers, Jersey modeler, it, as long as you have something to seal the fuel so moisture doesn't get into it, it doesn't really matter. So Jersey Modelers, unfortunately, doesn't sell nitro jugs anymore. Uh, they've moved to only gas jugs. But they do have another company. I don't know the name. I'll send it to you after we finish recording or text it. Maybe we can put it in the show notes or something. But he's handed the reins over to another company that does nitro jugs for him now. They look pretty similar. They're a little different, but whatever. Uh, my preference as well is hand crank. I have had a hand crank jersey modeler now for many, many years, and I have never, ever charged that battery, and it still hasn't died. So that's a plus. Damn, you never charge yourself? Nice. Yeah. I just, I've, you know, I've done the electric ones. I've had them crap out. I've had the battery die when I'm there, and I can't fly a stupid nitro because i can't have an electric pump work so yeah that's a good point plus you're paying attention too so you don't walk away and find fuel spraying <laughs> all over the place you're just like yeah. oh, well there goes five dollars yeah exactly so it just it takes like six or seven cranks to make it fill up it's not that big of a deal and it always works so i'll have a jersey modeler hand crank and usually i'll have a spare hand crank somewhere in my backpack or something in case it craps out doesn't happen very often but Every now and then, the uh, little mechanism in there takes a shit, and then you can't fly, so. So, actually, Jersey Modeler does sell glow tanks again. I actually just put the link in the notes, but I just bought their two-and-a-half-gallon uh, glow. Wait, back? Yeah. They did stop for a little bit, though, Scott. They did. Right, yeah. I'm stoked they're back. I was bummed, because the other guys, I'll be honest, they weren't anywhere close to as good. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah no that is true though but i do like the jersey modelers they're real nice i have them for uh, the jets that i fly i have them for my gassers i have them for the nitro everything cool all right that's cool yeah i went with the the jersey modeler 2.5 that i saw and uh well seems fine seemed clean mostly you know me i'm kind of a clean person so anything that looks like i can get the fuel in the helicopter without making a mess i'm all for so what about, jumping back on electronics again, receiver batteries? What size do I generally buy for a 700 or for, you know, a, a 50 size? And how many should I buy? Well, you got a raw, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what size even fits in that. I think it was like a 2500 or 20-something. Okay, so if you do whatever fits in that, I don't know how many flights you're going to get according to the milliamps. I don't, depends on your servos and everything like that. But I tend to run, because all of the batteries on the helis that I've flown get mounted on the nose, I run a 2S5000. Yeah. If I can fit it, that's what I like to fly to, because you get a ton of flights. Yeah, you get you fly all day and you don't have to charge it. You go home and charge it. How many should I buy? Two. One on the charger, one on the heli. 
it lasts way long enough that you can put it on this really tiny shitty charger that takes an hour and a half to charge um and that way when your other one's at like 7.7 .7 volts i don't like flying lower than that um when it gets to 7.7 7.6 i'll swap them out with the other one throw the dead one in the charger and keep flying and that's enough to fly all day yep okay and then what about so obviously I got to get the power from the battery into my FBL, and I'm assuming I want more than one lead plugging into the FBL. So I need some kind of adapter from the battery plug to a couple of servo leads. Yep. Is is a power switch a thing? Is there is that just like something that is going to fail and it's not worth, and you should just your switch is plugging it in? No, I don't use power switches. Nope. I mean power switches I have seen people use, and nowadays. When if they do fail, they fail open. So do you have power mm, no, anyway? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So you have power anyway. So if they do fail, doesn't doesn't really make a huge difference. But I just make my own leads. To I do two servo leads into the aux ports, so that way you have a dongle of two uh, going straight to the battery. That's what I do. Yeah. So I agree, hundred percent. Um. I have used those switches. Expert makes a solid state switch that works really well. It's got two leads now at a large, um, somewhat large gauge wire. Good enough for what we're doing. Um, I've done that on a gasser where I don't want to take the canopy off and all this stuff. And I've got a giant 5,000 battery in there, so it doesn't matter. And I've done it on a Glogo because I didn't want to take the canopy off. So I can just hit the button, fuel up, go. But for the raw nitro, because it's got the saddle pack thing on the side, I just had the wires come out into a little loop back there and a little short wire, like Devin said. I take an XT60 plug and I take two servo leads out into the fly barless, hot glue that guy in there, good to go. And I just unplug and plug to be ready to party. What, uh, what gauge servo wire should you use to carry? Like, what's the largest you can get into a servo connector? Um, I mean, what I usually do is I'll try and find some of the heavy duty servo wires that are a little thicker. They're like twice as thick as standard servo wires. Mm -hmm. I'll run that for about three or four inches and then I'll grab some, I don't know, is it like four gauge wire or five gauge wire or something like that? Some, a little bit thicker actual multi-strand, uh, silicone jacketed wire, like some big stuff that you'd see on a battery. Kind of like yeah. the, the, the gauge that's on your battery you're going to be using for a receiver pack. Mm -hmm. um, run that gauge to the XT60 and have that larger wire run your long span because okay. the, the longer the span the more resistance is going to be in the wire if it's small so I try and keep the smaller wire short that way it reduces as much resistance as possible and sure. then I run that thick stuff and the thick stuff is less likely to get nicked and cut and broken uh, when you're running it through the frame so I, I just like that it's clean and I can rely on it yep. yeah so that's probably like 14 gauge isn't it Maybe. I don't know. I was just guessing. So that sounds about right. I went the wrong yeah. direction and I was talking gauge. I forgot that smaller is bigger. <laughs> that's yeah. going to be a gigantic wire. <laughs> that's what I was like. I was like, four gauge? That's yeah. kind of huge. Yeah, Scott yeah, runs sorry, double that, zero. I sound like a total idiot now. <laughs> Scott runs yeah. double zero on all of his helis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I think it's like 14 gauge sounds perfect. Yeah, and what? Um, I think 12S batteries are 12, so... Mm. aren't they aren't they around that 12 i don't know i, I know they're... hobby wing esc is eight gauge and i try and base everything around that i don't know yeah so it's yeah. probably it's probably eight to 12 somewhere around there yeah they're in the eight or ten i think for 12s gauge 
uh, like most of the stuff in a charge case should be ideally around 10. Yep. Anyway. All right. So now I got to start the dang thing. Uh, what do I need for a starter? So it doesn't seem like anybody sells the whole thing ready to go, except for that Align starter kit, which I think people are going to tell me not to buy. Never. Um, so, and I'm going to ask why in a minute for that. But actually, let's just do it now. Why should we not buy that appeasing looking aligned thing that looks done and ready to go well it i think they make a heli version of it that doesn't have it i don't know how easy it is to find but the old aligned starters they used to have a jackhammer in them to for when you would go to start so as you were starting it would jackhammer and that on your crank bearings is not very good just it's an unnecessary thing that you need to do just to wear out your bearings faster well, it used to blow your one way inside your clutch shoe too. Yeah, that actually, yeah, that's true. Holy shit, it's I remember true. that. Yeah, so yeah. that's why I don't recommend them. I don't even know how easy they are to find anymore. Uh, I imagine you can still get them. I don't know. I just run a Dynatron Super High Torque. That's what I run. They're easy to find. You can get accessories for them, like the wands and everything like that. I don't know if you could still get the Sullivan wand or not. Yeah, you can. You um, can. <clears throat> but, that's my question. To, to you. Do you want to buy more than one and have it explode and fight with it? Or do you want to buy one of them and never buy another one for the next 35 years? Exactly. I want to buy one. Buy a Dynatron, get a Sullivan wand, never look back. Yep. What's a Sullivan wand? It's a little red anodized, quick release, spread out wand starter that's actually um, you'd remove the cup entirely so you don't get the nut, nutcracker version where the, the wand flicks out and hits your nuts. You remove the threaded cup, you put the Sullivan wand over it, it's machined out, and then you tighten the screw in the side and it clamps down on the shaft and it goes nowhere. And oh. they are they're bloody awesome. Yeah, they're nice. they're awesome. Um the only I only run I run the uh the nutcracker wand because I always like when Scott starts my motors and I like when he takes the risk. So <laughs> <laughs> So but you can't like you can't just buy a whole kit that's everything ready to go. It, it seems like you've got to buy the starter, the shaft, a battery, and then some sort of slick 3D printed or plastic yeah. holder. Well, that that's actually one other thing I was thinking about when you were saying that is, do you have power drills already? Like the Walt drills and everything like that in your house? It's funny you say that, because uh, I do, and that's the route I went. Okay, so... I have the Keith Williams K, what is what his company, the K3 KC CD, 3D, KC 3D, the 3D printed. And it's actually really nice. The tolerances, they're a little tight. It's 3D printed at first. So it takes a little bit of just using to get wear in where everything slides together really nice. But the ease of use, because a lot of, especially if you're a guy in the hobby, you already have power drills so that you already have that. So you don't need to go out and like, Maybe look at if you're going to do like a 4S battery on your Dynatron, you just stick that on there and it works really well and it's nice and compact. It it has a slot for you to unscrew if you have a Sullivan wand and stick it through and it's all right there. Yeah, that's what I went with was the KC3Dprint.com uh, DeWalt battery uh, rig. So I've got plenty of those batteries around and it seemed nice and compact and, uh, you know, holds the battery and... and all of that. So. But I wish, honestly, that people would make it really easy and just offer everything in one box, but that's me being lazy. Sullivan, uh, you used to 
with the Dynatron. You used to be able to get this huge bulky box where you could put, uh, it would fit up to a 6S3300 in it. So you would still have to do the wiring, but you could. And then you would just have to get that in the wand. So I, I do something a little different. I run a 4S10,000. Oh yeah, I have seen that on your side. Yeah, that's a huge battery. It's huge. great. It actually, that's heavy. It fits perfectly on the bottom side. And the reason I do it is I have this tiny little ISDT Bluetooth charger. It's like their air version. And it's perfect for charging receiver packs. So I run my charger off my starter battery. And I charge that battery in the starter maybe every other month. And I just charge my receiver pack on that. So when I go to the field, I got my radio, my fuel jug, my starter, and my little baby charger. And I'm ready to party. Nice. And so the starter actually is support for not just starting the motor. It's support for charging those other batteries, too. Exactly. Why are your biceps bigger if you're lifting that thing to start helicopters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I go to the church of pump. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to start it. Only the right one is. Uh, all right. While I'm on my buying spree for Nitro, uh, what about special tools? Do I need to buy a, a balancer, a glow plug wrench, like anything else? What's, uh, I mean, other than all the stuff you'd have for an electric heli, what tools for Nitro uh, are must haves? Well, as Scott said, uh, one of your external glow igniters, mostly for being able to test glow plugs and everything, you, that's what you leave it there for. I think, as Scott said earlier, um, a glow plug wrench, yes. I mean, if you have, I think if you have the Scorpion set, I think one of the drivers in that actually is the size of the glow plug. So if you have that, you can use that as well. But as a for where a glow plug driver is concerned, basically uh, a driver that fits on the glow plug. If you have that, you got a glow plug driver. So, and then my normal electric equipment, really. I don't and glow plugs. If you don't have glow plugs, you can have some fun sometimes. Of course. Um, but besides those support stuff, I not off the top of my head right now. I'm sure if Scott says something, I'll go, oh yeah, that, that yeah, that's necessary too. But so you're gonna want to have fuel tubing with you always. Why does it go bad? Yeah, it goes bad. You get pinholes in it and stuff. And I like to use a short, like four inch long piece of fuel tubing to undo my glow plug and put my glow plug in. Now you'd be like, well, that's dumb. I have a glow plug wrench. If you've ever cross-threaded a head, you know why. So, I like to use a glow plug wrench to crack it loose, and then I stick the fuel tubing onto the nipple of the glow plug, and I unscrew it with the fuel tubing. Do whatever I gotta do, put it back in, and get the thread started with the fuel tubing. It's impossible to cross-thread a glow plug into an engine head using that technique. Hmm, so, once it's threaded, you thread, you thread it down with the fuel tubing, yank it back off, crank it down with a tool. I have seen people try and get those T-handles in there, and it's real easy to do, and you get it off-angle a little bit, and you start threading it, and you cross-thread your head. Yep, then you're having fun. That sounds expensive. Absolutely. Yeah, it um, can be. Yeah. You're going to want to have, like, needle-nose pliers and stuff. I always have a set of those with me. I know you probably have those for electric, too, so that's kind of dumb. But you want to have a razor blade for cutting fuel tubing nice and straight uh, if you have to swap it out. You're going to want to have a spare check valve. What else for tools? You're going to want to have a crank lock. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been at the field with a nitro and something happens. My uh, clutch stack comes loose or something unthreads. I've got to throw the crank lock in the back and tighten it down again. I think that's it as far as like specialty nitro tools. Do nitro engines take 
do you need to have one of those little like um like C clip pliers with the little pins on the end so you can pull up no, not unless you're, or anything? Not unless you're rebuilding the carb. Sometimes there's that kind of stuff in the carb, or if you're rebuilding the engine, you're gonna get those inside the wrist pin of the the uh crank and piston. Yeah. Um I've only rebuilt engine once at the field. I don't think normal people do that. <laughs> but on the pen still you'd want that for sure. Actually, never mind. They're the same. I was going to yeah. say, for the carburetor side, if you're running a regulated motor, a driver for to get the regulator off, but it's actually the same size as the glow plug. So, Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the most important tool to rebuild an engine is going to be my car keys, so I can drop it off at Tom's house. But uh... <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> there you go. Wow. You got to learn uh, somehow. <laughs> at least sit there with them. <laughs> Watch them put it in the oven. Yeah, right? That's what I do. So let's talk about that. That's so foreign to me, um, but it makes sense. I get the whole thermodynamics of it, you know, heating up the parts, expanding them, and getting things apart and stuff. But so that's totally safe to do in my oven that I'm going to make casserole in the next day. Or do I, right? Or do I need then, something? Does your wife know what you did? Yeah. No, if she doesn't know, then we're good, right? 100% safe. Yep. Yep. If she finds out, you're so fucked. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Right on. So what about specialty adhesives? So Threadlock, I'm assuming you maybe use a little more red than you might on an electric. But what about this RTV silicone stuff I hear? Or do I need like gaskets for the pipe? No, don't. I, I don't know how Scott does it. He may do it differently. But when I get a gasket with a pipe, I throw it in the garbage. And I do uh, the RTV silicone as my gasket because I've never blown one out. And I can't tell you how many times I've blown out the stock gaskets on a pipe so my life is ruled by not making a mess so i can't stand rtv and you'll get a lot of this by the way so nitro is the most polarizing subject in rc helis one person will say they're wrong this is the way i do it this is the way you should do it everyone else is an idiot and then you go three feet over to your other side talk to the next guy he'll see the exact opposite and call the other guy a fool so everyone has their own way everyone is very opinionated about it so just keep that in mind but I can't stand RTV. It's messy. It's icky. You have to squirt it on. Then you got to put the pipe on. Then let it harden up. Then crank it down again. And I'm not, not a fan of that. So what I end up doing is kind of an old school, super old school nitro trick. You get some aluminum tape. The kind that does not have any paper backing or anything. It's just aluminum and a piece of adhesive. I cut a square a little bit bigger than the exhaust port. I put it on it, I exacto blade around all the ports, that way I get this really thin, very soft piece of aluminum over the gasket, over the hole, and then I throw the pipe on and I clamp it down. Um, the aluminum tape is obviously metal, it's not going to melt, uh, but it is soft enough that it likes to conform and crush and become a nice sealed gasket. I have never had an issue with that, it's super cheap, super easy, I can throw a pipe on and fly in seconds. That's actually a good way of doing it, yeah. Yeah, hmm, yeah like interesting. And I definitely want to dig into a lot of I think we'll probably do at least a whole episode as well on nitro building techniques, tips and tricks. Um Yeah. We'll one thing one that. thing I don't want to miss out too, you asked about like adhesives and stuff. Gyro tape. Most people use that foam 3M stuff. Mm-hmm. 3M makes this gel. It's a clear 3M gel tape. I love it. Amazing. The reason stuff. I love it is it doesn't absorb nitro fuel. You'll have issues with the foam, you know, absorbing fuel, getting soft, getting eaten away by the oils and everything, and then your gyro will eventually leave the party. 
but I have not had a single issue with this gel clear 3M tape. Gorilla makes a version too, and it just it works really well for Nitro. Wow. Do you have a, a 3M number for that? or? Uh, I can send it to you. I'm looking at it right now. I don't see numbers on the roll, but um, I'll send it to you. Cool. So what about the, the clutch liner? Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, do we need special tools or, or glues for that? <laughs> Throw it away and buy a new bell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> or put it in a bag and send it to Dan Murnane and have him put a like, super liner in it. Yep. Right, that was that was like another language. I have no idea what you just said. Well, so let's say you're flying, you're flying, you're flying, and your stuff is finally toast. And you're like, all right, I'm almost metal on metal on the liner. I need to change the liner. You could change it yourself, or you could send it to Dan, and he does a lot of machine work on it and puts an awesome liner in it that works really well. I don't know the material of the liner. I don't, I don't. Do you, Scott, know what material he's using for that? Yeah, I thought it was um, the brake shoe liner stuff for like a drum brake. And he cuts it in half and then machines it down in the bell. It's like twice as thick as it needs to be. Yeah. So he throws it in a lathe and turns it down to size so it fits the shoe perfectly. Yeah, and it's awesome. It's, it's really good. I would recommend doing that, actually. It's just a little bit easier. So there's going to be a lot of stupid questions from me on this because I know so little, but so does it come glued in to start with, and you just wait till that wears down, and then you would do this? Yeah, you sh- typically. I don't think... Are there any models where you actually have to put in your liner when you get it anymore, Scott? Not anymore, and they sell spare parts, so... Yeah. A new clutch bell with a liner is like 35 bucks. I throw the bell out, and I buy a new one. Uh, see, it was just interesting, just listening to the, that Nick Maxwell XL Power you know, live stream, they were talking about the clutch liner and this tool that will help you install it, so... Um, maybe I misheard, but it sure seemed that that's what they were talking about. Uh, interesting. Okay, cool. I don't know. I don't know if there, if, was it for installing a liner or installing the shoe into the bell? I thought it was liner, but maybe I misheard. Like I said, I'm still learning what all these pieces and parts are and how they interact. So, yeah, because when you get from the factory, a new, a new assembly, they're pretty tight. The tolerances are pretty tight. And so I don't know if they're doing a different way on the XL power of making sure that the the shoe is centered in the bell and that's what they're saying to do, or if it has something to do with changing the liner. All right. So moving on from clutch liners, are there any other initial purchases you can think of when you're first getting into Nitro? Are there spare parts? Obviously spare plugs we talked about, kind of talked about adhesives, like extra tools above and beyond uh exhaust deflectors wipes for cleaning a swear jar like yeah swear jar probably will need that's a recommended um exhaust deflectors they'll just fly off with my they just they just fly off i mean they're nice they help keep some of the oil off of where you don't want it but i don't run it it's just a hassle for me and the only other thing this is an old school technique that i know a lot of people used to run i don't know how common it is anymore but a lot of the nitro heads back in the day if you threw bolt the pipe on the motor which i don't even know if you if a lot of people do anymore i'm sure more most people are um just running it through the pipe into the threads of the motor but if you threw bolt the motor a lot of people were doing slits in the bolts 
So that way the bolts would snap and you wouldn't snap the head on your motor or dent up the pipe. So that's another kind of tip you can use if you have a through, if you're doing it through bolted, but I don't think that's super common anymore. Anything else, Scott, that uh, we missed here in terms of categories or electronics or items or uh, ends? I mean, I'm sure there's something, but I think we got a pretty good foundation. Yeah, I can't off the top of my head. I mean, um, I mean, how often does the soluble does the soluble wand have the Allen that is in it? Is that changeable, or is that harder yeah. than the clutch cup? I mean, it's pretty hard. You can buy new ones though. They sell just the the hex shaft that sell. Okay, because I know, in my experience, I I built my own my own adapter for a wand and everything. So I just went out and bought an Allen that was the size of the cup and. So it's not as hard as that shaft is, so they tend to wear out a lot. So I have a lot of those lying around. But th- if you have that Sullivan one, you won't have that issue. Right on. Well, I think that about uh, wraps it up for this sort of overview on some things to initially purchase and, and guide your early purchasing decisions when getting into Nitro. So thanks for those great answers and the information. I will definitely be taking some notes from this episode and adding a few things to some shopping carts. I plan to definitely take my time with this Nitro because I think between some episodes we'll do here at RCHN and some other ideas I have cooking, I think I'll probably learn a lot from a lot of great people in the Nitro community, which I will say the Nitro community is awesome. There seems to be a lot of great people who are more than willing to help. So I will be reaching out to a lot of you, um, (laughs) I'm sure, in in the coming uh, months. Uh, not in a huge rush to get this thing in the air. I'm going to definitely take my time with it. So uh, I think probably next time that we touch on Nitro, we'll we'll start talking about some construction techniques and, and tips and tricks and things to look out for. Ways that you would build the Nitro differently than an electric helicopter. And then obviously the, the Nitro building techniques in terms of aligning motors and shafts and all those things. So with that, uh, we'll uh, we'll button up episode 26 here. Again, I want to uh, put out some great energy. Keep Dan in your thoughts uh, as you listen to this episode, and hopefully we'll all be sending him obnoxious messages on uh, on Saturday. Please do so. Fill his inbox with shit uh, if you want to do so. Um, send him something funny, uh, something to laugh <laughs> at, um, shenanigans, etc. Memes. Sign him up for newsletters at uh, dan <laughs> at rchnv3.com if you want to get a hold of him. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Scott? Uh, where can folks find you? Well, I'm still taking a little bit of a hiatus from Facebook. So if you want to just email me at scott at rchnv3.com, that'd be the best. And Devin, what about you? So you can contact me, Devin McClellan, on Facebook, hit me up through Messenger, or you can email me at devin at rchnv3.com. All right. You can find me at uh, Nick Wisdom at rchnv3.com or on Facebook at Nick Wisdom RC. And uh, Rob, we want to get a hold of you this week. Uh, how do we do that? Nicodemus. So, uh, okay. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, since apparently the seal has already been broken, um, all you have to do is purchase yourself a couple of gallons of. Ga- of uh, lemonade and uh travel to where i live and in your travels consume all or as much of that lemonade as you can Um, and then when you get here 
just write me a message in that baseball field behind my house in yellow writing. Um, take take your time. Um, and then the next time I fly my FPV drone back there, I'll see this uh, big yellow message and I'll um, understand that it's your question. And I'll just do a bunch of power loops over it until I either get dizzy or I'm able to decipher the whole message. Uh, and then I'll reply. Um, but if you're uh, unable to do that, you don't know where I live, or you're afraid to come up here and freeze your junk off, trying to leave me a message because it's cold as fuck up here, um, then you can just email me at rob at rchnv3.com, hit me up on Facebook at RC, uh, um, nextgenrcfb, or youtube.com slash nextgenrc. All right, with that, this has been episode 26, Nitro Basics. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Yeah.